So my name is Nicola Kavanagh and I have beaten the orphan path by doing two things, setting up my own recruitment business and winning bronze in a bodybuilding contest. Ooh, I'm so excited to welcome you back to the Beat the Often Path podcast, the show where we study unusual success stories to help us think outside the box in our careers, businesses, and our lives. Today's guest will resonate with so many of you. Nicola Kavanaugh had her life planned out. She was succeeding in the corporate world. She fought hard to attain that coveted director status. But the further she climbed, the more she realized that the corporate world wasn't for her. So she set out on her own to build her own recruitment company from the ground up. Oh, did I mention she also became a medal-winning bodybuilder? We talk about that critical moment when a person decides enough is enough and sets out on their own. If you've ever considered making the leap into entrepreneurship or to something new, this episode is for you. So I'm so pleased to announce Nicola Cavanaugh. So you've got obviously two very interesting things to dive into here, as you've just mentioned. Um, Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the story arc. What is your career life arc kind of in a nutshell up until this point? So I kind of had a bit of a, uh, uh, I say, normal kind of career in the sense that I went to university, uh, age 18, studied languages, left and kind of fell into a sales job. I worked in the UK and I worked in France for about four or five years, came back to the UK and then I worked in different FMCG businesses within sales. So in a nutshell, um, kind of big branded businesses, worked my way up to director, which is what I always wanted to do. I always wanted to be director. This is where I want to be. This is where everybody wants to be. Um, And I went on maternity leave, had uh, two children came back, got my director role, thought that is exactly what I always wanted, and then found it really, really tough to commute to London as much as I was needed in London, to have young children, to be on calls really early, be on calls really late. Just lost um, excitement in the role. I lost excitement. I lost direction massively sort of towards my late 30s, and then I had a bit of a, a light bulb moment and opened my own business, got divorced, and took up bodybuilding, all literally in the space of a year. Wow. In <laughs> a light bulb. So talk to me about this. Was it like an eat, pray, love year, or <laughs> what happened yeah, in this year? I don't know what happened. I don't know how it's... Um, I think actually, I think actually professional life and private life, I was unhappy in both, and I think it got to a point where I was trying to manage everything and felt like I wasn't managing anything. Mm-hmm. And I think people um, who have children do, men and women, do get to a bit of a crossroads sometimes and find that, especially women with careers, um, not wanting to sort of stereotype, but when you do have a, when you've been very, very career focused and then you have children, sometimes it can be, you feel a bit torn that you're not doing the career 100%, you're not looking after the children 100%. And I just felt like um, you're only, we're only here once, right? We're only on the planet once. Let's do something that is different. And I think the thing that held me back for so long and possibly holds other people back is financial sure. stability and especially going through divorce and all the kind of things that go with that emotionally and financially. And then also setting up a business, which 
you know, is not going to make you a huge amount of profit in year one unless you're really lucky. So it was such a um, such a risk to do it. Um, and it's been the hardest five years of my life, but also the best. Wow. Um, in lots of ways. So cool. All right. Well, this is very exciting. This is right up my alley already. Eleven. <laughs> I completely understand everything you just said as a father of a two and a half year old daughter. I know how yeah. everything changes. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it does. Before we get into that, I wanted to ask you. So, since a lot of people are looking for those director positions, talk to me about that. Mm-hmm. What led up to? What was the dissatisfaction? How did that start creeping in? Was it something that you felt for many years, or was it just something that eventually you said, "I'm sick of this"? Or how did that part happen? I think it. Looking back, it was probably building up for quite a few years. I think I found the whole blue chip corporate environment a bit sterile. I think I probably went down that path because it's kind of the thing to do. You get a degree and you, or you don't get a degree, but you, you follow a, a career path. And for me, that was an FMCG environment career path. And everybody seems to be on the same career path. Everybody wants to be, there's a hierarchy of job titles in whatever business you're in, right? So everyone's like, that's the next thing, then the next thing, the next thing. And you're kind of on a bit of a hamster wheel. And I don't think when I look back and think about what I know about myself now, my personality, I was probably never right for that environment. I don't like the politics of it. I don't like the insincerity of a lot of it. Um, I don't particularly enjoy selling someone else's products. I want my own business. I want to sell my own brand yes. and my own products. Yes. Um, and so many people would sit there and go, oh, I'm, I'd love to be more entrepreneurial. I'd love to have my own business. And most people don't. Because most people are quite happy to sort of sit there in front of a PC. Not most people. That sounds that sounds rude. A lot of people are very happy to do that day in and day out, but they will still moan about it. And I thought, I don't want to be someone that moans about it. I'm either moaning about it and going to do it, or I don't just shut up and don't moan about it. You know, right. don't be unhappy. Um, but I think, you know, having children as well puts the pressure on because I was on a good salary. And then you think to yourself, my God, why didn't I do this years ago? Um, Because I've now got two children to look after. And I think the pressure then time-wise on me of having a husband. So we moved sort of three hours away from London. My husband still worked in London. So he was there all week. Um, And I was looking after the girls. Some days I'd be in London, three days running. I'd have to go there and back again in a day, pick them up, get them to bed. It was an absolute, I was exhausted. And I remember I'd be like driving back on the motorway with the windows down, the radio on, literally trying not to nod off. Mm. I was so tired. And I just thought something's got to give. This is not, this is not how I want to live my life. I mean, and it got to a point where the salary and all the benefits that came with it didn't really cut it anymore. So that was kind of what led me to, to thinking about it. And I actually sat with a life coach for a period of a couple of months and just, um, she really helped me kind of think about what I really wanted mm. and what was holding me back. And that was really, really helpful. Was it getting more stressful as you climbed the ladder or getting easier? I'm just, you know, because I think a lot of people think that it gets better when you get higher up. No, it's more stressful because, okay. the, you know, that you're, when you're in a big company, there's always changes. There's always 
joint ventures with other companies. There's always consultation consultation periods where you have a round of redundancies where they decide to operate leaner. And it's like a pyramid, isn't it, at the top? The higher up you get, the fewer jobs there are. So there's so much competition. There's so much politics. And actually, in a global blue chip where I was, if you wanted to get on, you needed to go, okay, I'm quite happy to move to America. I'm quite happy to move to South America or Singapore or Scandinavia. You've got to be willing to just move at the drop of a hat because that's where the opportunities are. So if you wanted to stay in the UK, you know, you're going to be disadvantaged up against some of the other people that you're working with. Mm. Um, and that just didn't work for me. And that works for lots of people, you know, lots of people who, you know, whether they have responsibilities or not, might have that mindset that they're happy to do that. And I wasn't, and it just didn't work for me. And, and were there travel requirements regardless? You had to be flying everywhere, no matter where you were based out of? Um, the, 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 not in my role, but, you know, the, there would always be requirements to travel. Okay. Meetings, regional meetings, that kind of thing. And it just, I just, um, it was a mix of it not working for me and, and I just wasn't interested in it. Yep. Just wasn't interested in selling someone else's product. I know that Lost. feeling all too well. Now is that awkward time in a podcast where we stop the content and interject a little commercial. Now I could do what some lesser podcasts do, <coughs> all ads, <coughs> all the time, but I'm not going to do that because I'm a classy individual. I could make a small pitch for my own digital marketing agency and suggest that if you have a brand story that you want to tell like these people, that I could help you tell that story with a variety of digital marketing tools. Yes, I could do that. And then I could actually financially benefit from this thing instead of just speaking out into the void and listening to your smiling faces through the podcast diverse. But I'm not going to do that. I'm going to take the high road. All I'm going to do is just ask you this. If you like the show, if you like the content, please support it. Follow, subscribe, share, leave a comment, do all of the things to help it grow. Tell somebody who needs to be on it, recommend a guest to me. All of those good things help me build this podcast. Rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts, all that stuff. So please do that. Please help me grow this thing. And now, without further ado, back to the show. Seems to me like there's certain types of people. Some people like that stability. They just want to collect that check, and that's all they want to think about. Mm -hmm. But other people find yeah. it very difficult. And they choose yeah. the entrepreneurial path. Uh, that was yeah. the same for me. Um, was it? Yes, it was. Yeah, I was working. You know, I I got my dream job, and that was when I realized that a job wouldn't do it for me. Uh, I was yeah. working at a record label. It was all I wanted. Something as a kid, I wanted more than anything. Yeah. And I remember showing up to the first day and looking at the office, and it was a very nice office, modern, cool, hip, all of the things that you're supposed to have. But then I still thought to myself, yes, but it's still a prison. It's just a very nice prison. And I knew from that yeah. second as I landed my job, I said, this, this isn't it for me. And that was when I started going off on building my own company, doing marketing for wow. clients and what have you. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's, it's an it. interesting point you made, actually, because when I say I wish I'd done this years before, I was not, this, I was not the person I am years before. Mm -hmm. So if I, I wouldn't have said this when I was in my 20s or even my early 30s. It just wasn't that person. I wouldn't have described myself as entrepreneurial. I still don't describe myself as entrepreneurial. Wow. Um, but I think it's going through different experiences that you then get to a point where you do decide what you don't like and what you do like. Hmm. Some people, you know, are entrepreneurial from the get-go and, you know, right from their early 20s, you know, 
a huge success of themselves or, you know, have their own businesses. And I just wasn't, I just wasn't in that place then. Mm-hmm. So it's easy to look back, isn't it? And say, I wish I'd done this, that, and the other, but I wasn't that person. You wish you had a lemonade stand when you were five years old and <laughs> you were making money from day one. I should understand profit and loss age five. Yeah. Yes. I feel the same way. You know, well, this, so, this moment where people have had enough, that I think is such an interesting moment in anybody's life where somebody says, you know what, I'm not going to be the one complaining for another 30 years. I'm going to do something mm-hmm. about it. I think that is such a profound and interesting moment in somebody's life. So surrounding that decision, you said you had worked mm-hmm. with a life coach, you had been thinking about mm-hmm. doing this. How did you approach the actual switch did you say i'm gonna save up x amount of money so i have a little bit of a safety net or did you say you know what this is it today's my last day i quit so how how did you approach the transition i um i did have some shares that i sold from the business Uh, not that much actually because the the business that i've set up which is a recruitment business is working from home so don't have any overheads i have small overheads which is you know systems and services and that kind of thing um, my husband at the time said, look, I'll help you for a year, but that's it, no longer. Um, and as it turns out, actually, I needed longer than a year. Um, we subsequently divorced. Um, and then I put myself in even more financial, in a more even more financially challenging situation from doing that, actually. Um, so I would say that although it's, been amazing and I've learned lots and I wouldn't change it I would much rather do what I'm doing now than work for a big blue chip I actually recruit for blue chips I understand them really well so I can put my experience and knowledge into something that I really like doing but I'm kind of on the other side of the fence right but at the same time it's very very tough and it's not for the faint-hearted it really isn't because I am I have been for quite a while literally out on my own with two children no money um, no childcare support, trying to get a business together. And there've been many times when I've thought, I'm literally going to go and get a job in a supermarket. I'll, I'll get a job doing anything so that I can get some money coming in yep. because this is so stressful. Because no matter what sort of job you're in, in a corporate environment, even if you're in a sales job like I was before, you're not really in a sales job. You're in an account management job normally where you get a basic salary and if you miss your target you kind of miss your target but you still get your salary when you're running your own business if I don't bring business in I don't have a salary I have nothing Um, and for quite a while I had nothing Um, and I even uh, lost the house the family home moved out of the family home with my daughters Um, it was really tough really tough Um, I wouldn't recommend going through divorce at the same time as setting up your own business. No. Not to be recommended. But I think for me personally, it was just part of a bigger, uh, it was part of a bigger picture and a bigger lifestyle change. It's a massive transformation all around. Yeah. Sounds like, yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, I, I've struggled financially for a good while. Okay. It felt like a long while at the time. So uh, this, this part I love as well. So these, you make a decision, and obviously, at first, everybody's thinking about the good that can happen. They think about their mm-hmm. dream. 
Imagine sipping cocktails in Ibiza, looking over the water. I'm an entrepreneur now. I'm imagining it. I'm imagining it. <laughs> right. um, but then you kind of get into the nitty gritty and you realize, okay, there's this is going to be quite an undertaking. Um, mm-hmm. In those early months, years where things were very up in the air, what kept you going? How did you not stop? It's a good question. The only thing that I, one of the things that I've learned about myself through the process is that I am really tenacious and I have a lot of resilience. And I think that is key to running your own business, whatever it is, because I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And the thing with running your own business and having to drive new business all the time is that if you don't constantly drive new business, you don't get business. So you can be working on something. I can be working on a, a recruitment project, but if I'm not, if I've not got an, one eye kind of on the pipeline and still driving new business, I've got nothing to move on to. And when you're when you start off and you start from a standing start like I did, you have to be resilient because when you're driving new business, probably ninety nine percent of people will just slam the door in your face, but that one percent will bring in something that is really lucrative, and you have to bring bear that in mind all the time. And there's been months and months and months where I've just kept going and kept going and kept going. Uh, and there have been many times where I've wanted to stop. There's been many times where I've just thought, this, I've just done the wrong thing here. I want to go back to having a salary because it was so difficult. Mm. Um, so there have been some really tough times. But I've learned a lot about myself during the process. I've learned a lot more since I've set up my own business than I ever did working in corporate. All of the courses, the personality testing and the courses that I've been on didn't tell me as much about me as I've learned now just doing this. Over just the last doing it. Years. Yeah. Because a... you can read books, because you mentioned a minute ago reading self-help books and business books. I don't read them anymore because oh. they don't help me. I'm sure that, I'm sure <laughs> lots of listeners will go, hang on a minute, there's loads that are brilliant. And I've literally got shelves of them on my bookshelf. But at the minute, what helps me is just doing it and learning from my mistakes. Mm-hmm. Well, there's that saying from a former first lady, I can't remember who it is, a former wife of a former president who said, a woman is like a bag of tea. You never know how strong she is until you put her in hot water. Have you heard that one? <laughs> I haven't heard that one. It's brilliant. It's a classic. Ah, it's an old chestnut. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you can borrow it freely. I figure out who it is. Um, so you learned a lot by doing, which is a thing that a lot of people describe, but maybe extreme athletes or somebody who mm-hmm. hiked to the South Pole might say a similar thing. Um, here's, here's the thing. Mm -hmm, Go ahead. I was just about to say, just, just on that, um, I, I, um, over the last year and a half, I've been working with a consultant who, um, really experienced in the field of recruitment. Um, I mean, huge amount of experience, huge amount of contacts in the industry. I felt I kind of stagnated a little bit, particularly when COVID struck last year and recruitment kind of hit rock bottom. So as I've got the business going you know, up and running and doing well, then obviously COVID hit, so no one was recruiting. So I thought, you know, now's the time to kind of build the network and market myself so that I come out of it stronger. So I've been working with a consultant who um, has been absolutely brilliant. So I would say as well, the important thing is recognizing what I don't know as much as recognizing what I do know and going, do you know what? There's people who know loads more than me about all sorts of things who I can learn from. Um, and when I'd got enough money in the business, I thought now's the time to to pay someone for that support. And that's been absolutely invaluable. Oh, really? Interesting. How far along were you when you made that decision? 
Four years in? No, three and a half. Okay. Yeah, three and a half years. But things were already kind of leveling out or taking off in some small way. Okay. And then you said, and since doing that, you feel that things have kicked into a higher gear? Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's shown me um, some different systems that I can use, some of them free that I didn't know existed to help. Um, Ways of saving time and focusing on the things that I need to be focusing on. Ways of reaching out to people and networking very quickly. Um, he's helped me with my business planning. And I spent years in a sales environment where I've done business plans for clients. But applying that knowledge to your own life and your own business is really hard. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Because self-doubt creeps in all the time. And fear of, of doing stuff. So to sit with someone who's really experienced, who can sit and go through every single line of a PL with me, it's been brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it sounds fairly basic, even someone telling me about how to word an email. You know, do you, there's a more optimal way of writing that. Here's a really good line that you could, you know, hook people with. You know, just stuff that I hadn't thought about. And he's been great. Oh, cool. That's that's excellent. And do you feel that it was necessary? Because usually when people want to make a leap into something entrepreneurial, people will tell them you should get a job in the corporate world first and then do it. Do you feel that that was a necessary step or not? Um, no. Not now. I don't think so. I think the corporate world taught me a lot about teamwork, about dealing with people about meeting deep people from different walks of life, especially when I started out in, in field sales, when I'm out on the road all the time, meeting lots of different people. You know, there's nothing better than meeting people with their own businesses and selling into them to understand kind of what life's about. Mm. Um, so I've been checked out of many places and then subsequently become really good friends with them a few months later. And you just learn, I've learned a lot. Um, I learned a lot about business planning, um, about how big corporates work, but it just wasn't the environment I wanted to stay in. Mm-hmm. It wasn't right for me. Well, how did you choose what business you actually wanted to build? I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with as well. How did you know what you wanted to attempt to do? Um, well, for me, being um, so, I've set up a recruitment company specializing in FMCG, so fast move consumer goods, which is the industry I've always worked in. And I'd always been the other side of the fence. So I'd recruited people. I'd used recruitment agencies. Um, and some of them were great. And a lot of them were not great. Would just send loads of CVs. And you'd be sifting through stuff. And I'd be thinking, do you know what? I can do a better job. Mm-hmm. And then for ages thinking, am I being really naive here and thinking that I could do a better job? Is, re- is reality very different? Um, and that's why I wanted to go into recruitment because I, wa- I wanted to stay within FMCG in that I recruit within FMCG so I can put my knowledge to it. Um, and when I talk to candidates, I talk to them honestly about what jobs involve because I've done the jobs myself. So I understand the roles that I'm recruiting for, which I think is important because a lot of recruiters will be young, have only ever worked in recruitment. They have a target on the board every day. Right, there's your target. So they'll just send CV after CV after CV and hope that something sticks. And I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something very bespoke. I wanted to do something niche. My ideal is that I send one CV and that person gets the job. That's every recruiter's ideal, right? Yeah. Two or three max. 
So I do all the work, I understand clients, understand the candidates, and I get it done and I do a really good job. Um, and that's what it's about. It's about doing a really good job and taking the headache out of recruitment for, for my clients. So that's kind of how my thought process went. Got me that into makes recruitment. sense. So what, what is the business model then? I, I don't really know much about the recruitment business. So you just, if you place somebody, they give you a percentage or how does it work? Yeah, so I would have a terms agreement with my clients and we'll agree a uh, my commission, which is a percentage of a, the net salary of the candidate. And I'll, there's lots of different ways of doing it, but but generally speaking, I'll invoice on, on day one of the candidate starting. There are sort of different things that you can do, but generally... I invoice on day one and then starting and and that's it. I'll have a brief for a role. I'll research it. I will find a candidate uh, or two, send them for interview and hopefully they get the job. Hopefully they get the job, yeah. So <laughs> Not with, quite all that simple and straightforward. Well, obviously. <laughs> you don't get to four years that way. Um, so when it's struggling, you're trying to figure out if this thing is even viable, you're building it. What was the first light at the end of the tunnel or moment where you finally thought, okay, you know what, this can work? Um, when I placed my first candidate, because I remember the reality of working in recruitment is that you get so many people that ignore you or say no. And that's quite a shock when you come from a corporate environment. Because in a corporate environment, everyone's always very polite. Especially in the UK, everyone's very polite all the time. All the emails are very polite. Everyone's very polite. Even if even if someone wants to tell you to get lost, they still write it in a really polite way. They do it in a nice like, way. Because you're in a corporate environment. Yep. Um, and then I would describe it as kind of being in the real world a bit more. Right. Because am I allowed to swear or shall I not swear? If someone wants to tell you to F off, right. they tell you to F off, right? Or they tell you to go away. Um so it's a, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard kind of harsh reality. Developing that thick skin. It is. Yeah. You have to develop a really thick skin. Um, if you don't have one, develop one pretty quickly because you will, you will, you will need it. Uh, but when I got, sorry, going back to, to your question, when I got my first candidate placement, I was literally like, Oh my God, yeah. I can invoice for some money, it's amazing. And then the thing with recruitment is they, you always have like a period after they're in the role for like eight or 12 weeks that if they leave within that time, you have to give a percentage of it back. So oh, it's constantly really? checking, in, checking in with them when they're in role, how are you getting on, you know, and it's not just saying, there you go, off you pop, you got the role, I won't be in contact again. Okay. Because recruitment is about networking and it's about talking to people and it's about relationships. And the more people I talk to, the more opportunities that have come out of the woodwork that, you know, I can guarantee most days that something that I plan to do um, won't happen, but I'll get an opportunity somewhere else from a random conversation I've had with someone else. Um, so you never know where things are going to come from. And that's quite exciting. Yeah. But it's it's hard at the beginning because it's it's very out of sync with what you're used to doing in a corporate mm-hmm. environment where everything's a lot more structured. Yeah. Uh, what what's your day to day like now? What's your literal schedule? Um, quite often, I'll get up quite early, um, at sort of five ish. So my partner gets up at half past four every day. So sometimes I get up at five. I'll do a couple of hours work before the kids get up. So then I'll get them ready, get them to school, and then I'm back again and I'm at my desk. Um, so at the minute, it's a bit different because there's no face-to-face meetings. 
So it's all on Zoom and Teams. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll be interviewing people. I'll be researching and resourcing candidates. Um, I'll be taking briefs on roles. Um, and also a lot of my time is spent trying to win new business as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, pick the kids up from school. Well, they go to after school club. So pick them up from after school club. And then, you know, I'll be with them in the evening. So my older daughter's studying for exams at the minute. So helping, helping her um, spending time with them, which is another bonus of what I do. I can flex my time to a degree around them. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not having to be in an office eight till six. Yep. I can literally, I can flex it. And I feel really lucky to be able to do that. Really lucky. So although the day is long and sometimes it feels like I'm not away from a computer for very long, yeah. I have, yeah. yeah, I have a huge amount of flexibility and you know, they, they'll go to bed and then I'll do a bit more work. Well, sometimes I just don't because you do need a bit of time out. Otherwise you can burn out. Mm -hmm. yep. so that's, that's kind of my day. How do, you, how do you feel about working from home now? I know a lot of people in the corporate world, they dream of that after many years of doing it. What are your thoughts on working by yourself? Well, I've always been home-based working in sales. Oh, so I've always okay. been in an office a couple of times a week, maybe, uh, max. But I've always been home-based, so it's nothing different for me. I can't imagine being in an office. I can't imagine that structure of being in an office nine to five. I don't want that structure. It, yeah, it makes me go, Ugh. Um, I love it. I'm driven. I get stuff done. I get more done here. Because when I'm in the office, when I used to be in the office, you know, get the coffee machine and people chat to you there or people get standing over your desk wanting to chat to you. So the kind of days I used to spend in the office were a bit of a social yeah. <laughs> you can actually get stuff done at home. Absolutely. Yep. And I did think, you know, when I when I started Apricode, do I what's my vision? Do I want to have an office? Do I want to have loads of employees and have like a, a proper kind of recruitment business? Uh, that's not to say that it's not a proper recruitment business there, but I do want to have the stereotypical office with lots of employees. Mm -hmm. Um and, and I was umming and ahhing about it and then COVID hit and so many people are working from home that there's no way I would do that. Why would I want the overhead of office premises? You know, I, I don't need it. It doesn't need to factor into my financial planning, you know, and there's a lot of people like me out there who need that flexibility and who are driven, want to have a career, want to succeed. Yep. Um, so I don't ever think that I would go back to an office unless I was absolutely forced to. Yes, I feel the same way. <laughs> Completely agree. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's addictive. Once if you're a certain type of person, you can never go back. That's for sure. Um, yeah, and I you... also have um, two bulldogs who I have to walk at lunchtime. So it's very important <laughs> that they get Very important that you go outside. Yes. Yeah. So, do you manage a team of remote? Do you have employees? Or... I don't have employees. I have people who uh, sort of dip in and dip out. The okay. plan is to. Um, have more of those people more regularly. Um, but COVID hasn't been a great time for that because recruitment kind of went through the floor. So many and it's come back up. Yeah, like lots of industries, exactly. It's been tough. But things are coming back up now. Um, I have people that dip in and dip out who can do researching and resourcing for me. Mm -hmm. um, I do use people as well, like uh, people who do sort of psychometric testing. So if you're recruiting... Use it more for sort of executive level appointments, but you know when you do like psychometric tests, um, I 
work with agencies that provide those as well. So I have lots of kind of people who I can call on. So so it's just kind of an extra string to my bow, which is why um, talking to people is really important because you get to meet so many different people who have so many things who can help you out, you know, and I can help them out. And actually, I found that people that have their own businesses are really willing to help other people out because you don't have that element of competition like you do in a corporate environment where everyone's sitting, you know, in a room at the desk vying to see who can get into the MD. Yeah, yeah. People want to help each other on the whole, and I really like that about having my own business. We're in it together in some weird way, right? (laughs) You're either doing it or you're not doing it. Yeah, exactly. Even if it's, you know, I meet some really interesting people that have businesses that, you know, things I would never have thought of that just Mm. do exciting things, and it's, it's a nice place to be. Absolutely. Um, well, let's let's switch gears because there's a giant uh, elephant in the room here that that I don't want to forget about, which is this bodybuilding thing or what? what is, I know. Talk to me about what that. What is that? What what am I doing? So basically, was, did the, you said it started? Oh yeah, how did that begin? Basically, I I've trained for um, years. I've been interested in training for years. I'm actually a qualified personal trainer. Okay. Um, but that's purely a hobby. I don't, um, I don't train people. Um, although people ask me all the time for advice and I sort of say, well, that's not what I do. Um, recruitment is what I do. And this is really out of interest. Um, and then, you know, I don't, I don't know quite what happened. I think I just really got into it and, um, and I started to see, um, you know, you start to see pictures of people who compete. Um, and I just thought, why don't I try and take it to the next level? And there's um, there's a lady at, the, at my, uh, who works actually locally, um, who is a trainer, personal trainer, and she is a member of something called the UK DFBA, which is the UK Drug-Free Bodybuilding Association, which is part of a, a larger US federation. I've forgotten the, the name of the US federation, but it's a drug-free bodybuilding federation and she won the world essentially so she went to new york last year year before last won the world and i was in awe i was like oh my god i can't believe can't believe that mm-hmm. um so i thought i'm going to give it a go so i went to speak to her and she recommended a coach and someone who could coach me doing into a novice division so i competed for the first time last year so it's touch and go all year as to whether the comp would go ahead because of covid and we had like a window of six weeks where things opened up. And that's when the competition was. Um, so I spent a year building muscle and then six months shredding fat to get myself onto the stage into a novice competition. And I won bronze. I literally almost fainted when they said that I'd won wow. the bronze. Oh, my God. I was never sporty at school. I never thought that in my 40s I would be on stage in a bikini. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, sure. um, and then... Um, the beauty of it was that Leanne, my coach, who's, who won the Worlds as well in, in LA a few years ago, um, understands that you can't be training six days a week um, and doing cardio and all that stuff when you've got a family and when you run your own business. Mm. And she showed me ways, a way to do it that means I can enjoy it and it's part of my routine and it's not doesn't take over at all. So I train four days a week. Uh, clearly watch my nutrition all the time, which is fine because I'm kind of used to doing that. 
So now I'm basically, I'm taking a year, um, a year off stage and I'm going to compete next year in an open competition, which is cool. clearly, I can't do the novice competition again. So I've got to take two years to build muscle. So when you're drug free, it takes longer. When you're natural, it takes a long time to build muscle. So a couple of years out to build muscle and I'm going to be on stage again next year. That's such a cool story. <laughs> so fascinating and so <laughs> random. Are like, what are you doing? <laughs> I love it. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm interested in. Um, do you feel that it's important? I think it's important, but I'm curious how you feel. So you're typing, you're at a computer all day, you're sitting in your house all day. Mm-hmm. How valuable is it just to have something that's completely different from your business? Oh, massively, massively, because it's, it's me time. It's time away from the children. And I can't describe being at the PC as time away from family because it's, because you do as much as I love them, you need time away, but I need time away doing my own thing. I'm still, you know, we're all still individuals, despite how many responsibilities we have, right? Despite how many children you have, despite what you do, we all still have interests outside of that. And that's important for me. So I'll go to the gym and I don't, and and I see people at the gym and my partner um, uh, owns a a personal training studio. So I'm very lucky that I get to use it. Um, But I know all the people in there. I, I chat to people and it's just time out. You know, and it's time for me to, I have a goal, I have a target. Um, I know where I want to get to. And every single time I train, I'm kind of a bit closer to this. I'm quite a target-driven person anyway, but I'm a bit closer to my target. But at the same time, it's something for me. You know, it's not doing homework and helping the girls with their exams. As important as, and as, as much of a priority that is, it's not driving the business. It's something that's really selfish. And I think a lot of people will sometimes suggest that actually how do you fit that in it's it is quite a selfish thing to do and bodybuilding is selfish because it's not a team sport it's all about me i guess it's the way i look it's monitoring every calorie that i eat but i do it and it's part of the routine it's not no stress i'm so used to it i don't eat any differently to anyone else i don't cook myself separate meals to the girls you know we all sit and eat together it's you know it's it's just part of what i do and sometimes they come to the gym um, and they dance around or play on the Swiss balls or take the really light dumbbells and mess about. So they're all over it. They think it's funny. And last year I had a licorice all sorts bikini made for them because they like licorice all sorts. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, so when it comes to, there's a few debates. One of the debates is, should your work be your hobby or should you have work be work and a hobby be a hobby? I'm curious what you think about that. You know, some people say, like, I, I want to be a musician. I want my hobby mm-hmm. to be my work, to be my passion, everything one thing. Do you feel that that's a good way to live? Or do you feel that work is work, hobby is hobby is better? For me, a hobby is different. Because I could be sitting at my computer 24-7 and still not get things done. I'm sure we all can. We all say that. We all can. We can all, you know, there's never enough hours in a day. And having a hobby takes you out of that. Otherwise, you can you can get stressed. I can get stressed if I'm sitting all day, constantly answering emails. And as driven as I am, it's it gets you down. You can burn out. You know, none of us are super women, supermen. You know, we... I burn out if I don't have time out. You know, if I have a busy recruitment campaign where I will put in the hours and I'll work till midnight or 1am, maybe three or four nights running because I need to get something done, I'll do it. But I wouldn't do that ongoing because 
I'll burn out. I need to have that time at the gym. You know, I have friends who do running who need to run because that for them is time out. Um, my partner is a is a personal trainer. He's, he's trained for 20 years. And he would definitely suggest that a hobby is really important because although he personal trains, he personal trains other people and then he struggles to get his own training in and actually just doesn't want to be in the gym anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. so it's, I think it's important to have a balance, but it's important to be able to balance it with your life as well. Mm. You know, I can't just sort of say that I would have done this when the children were really little because I stepped away from exercise for about a good three or four years. So, you know, it's like when they're little, they're really hands-on and you get interrupted sleep. Um, and it's hard to, you know, get through a normal day on little sleep, let alone go to the gym and push weights until you fail. You know, it's, that's, oh, yeah. it's not, you've got to recognize when it's the right time for your life to do it and when it's not right. Otherwise you will just burn out. That makes so much sense. Yeah, when they're when you're getting two hours of sleep per night, there's not much else you can do. No, no, and you'll make yourself ill. There's no, there's no point. And you know, at that point, the children are the priority. Of just getting yourself through the day. And that that feeling that you described at the beginning, where you said you felt like you were kind of failing a little bit at keeping all of these balls afloat. I had that feeling exactly myself. There was a moment where I felt like I'm not being 100% as a dad. I'm not being 100% at yeah. work. Oh, yes. I felt that exactly. Yeah, yeah. I know it all too well. I think a lot of It's a hard one. It's a hard one. And I think as, and this is just kind of my take on it. I think now people have children later on. I, I guess if I refer to sort of my parents' generation, generation, having children in your 20s was the norm. Mm-hmm. For me, I had my first when I was 37, and that was kind of quite normal for my sort of peer group and my friends. But I think the challenge with that is that you've established yourself and your routine and your potentially your career, and then you have a child, and actually all of that is turned on its head. And it takes quite a lot. It took me quite a lot of adjustment to get used to. I remember being on maternity leave, and all my friends were at work. And I was, I was there, you know, I'd had no sleep of a, a baby that you, you're trying to walk around, trying to walk around, I was living in London, so I'm trying to walk around London. You can't get on and off any tube stations because unless you've got someone to help you with the buggy, get on and off, but it's a nightmare to get around. Um, and I kind of wandered around on my own quite a bit. It, it was, it was tough. There, there were times when I, you know, I look back and I was quite lonely and it was quite tough because it's such a shift, such a mindset shift. From, from being that career person to then being at home with a, with a baby. Um, and there's elements of it that I absolutely loved, but I, I don't think it would be right to say that I loved every second of it. And I know lots of people that felt exactly the same. You know, you wouldn't change a bit of it, but my God, it's really tough. Really tough. <laughs> yep. So then you don't have another one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. You, you either understand that or you don't, I think. The people who don't have kids... <laughs> They don't understand it, so that's fine. No. They never, they will one day, maybe, who knows, but until then. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to somebody who was thinking about doing this? Maybe there's somebody who's working that corporate job listening, and they're on the mm-hmm. cusp. They're thinking, you know what, I've just about had it. What advice would you give to that person? Um, I would say... Follow what you want to do. Don't, don't not do it because you're worried. Don't put blockers in the way. 
but also go into it sensibly, which I don't know if I did. In, and financially, make sure that you've got enough money behind yourself to support yourself for a period of time. That's really important because there's nothing worse than financial stress. Unfortunately, I hadn't had too much of that before because I'd always been on a, a decent salary. Um, and it's really stressful to have to worry about paying bills. Really stressful. Um, and I would say have, have that planned out. But also don't be afraid if things don't work out to actually take a bit of time out. I know people that have set up their own businesses and then gone, do you know what? I just need to just take a few months out. I'm going to go and get a job. I know someone who got a job as a delivery driver or someone who got a job, um, just a contract, doing what they'd done before uh, until they'd sorted out a few more things and they'd they'd worked with a consultant to sort of get a business plan up and running. But, you know, things don't always work out straight away. When I first left, I wanted to set up a business recruiting for people who wanted part-time work, so project work. That came off the back of having children and knowing lots of people, men and women, who found it very difficult to be um, in a full-time role but had just as much drive and enthusiasm that they'd always had. But with new family commitments, it makes it very hard to be in a structured job full-time. The harsh reality was that companies who need projects doing will get people internally to do them. Um, or they will get interims to do them. But there are very few companies that would get a recruiter to recruit someone part-time. And also the reality, unfortunately, as a recruiter, is that if I recruited part-time candidates, I wouldn't make much money. You know, it's kind of a bit of a harsh reality of life. It's all very well going, mm, you know, there's all these people that are really good and we all want to work a bit part-time. We have loads to offer. But as a recruiter, I can't make my, I can't make it work financially. I need to be recruiting full-time candidates. So then I closed that business, took a bit of time out and then set up Africa, which is full-on FMCG recruitment. Uh, but I did kind of change, you know, at the beginning, I thought, do I need to go into engineering recruitment? Should I go into financial recruitment? Because those seem to be the areas where there's always a massive flow of people. But then I stepped to what I know, which is FMCG, and I thought, right, I'm going to go for it. But it wasn't straight away. You know, these things do sometimes take time and, and, and just be prepared for that. Would you say that you're passionate about what you're doing? Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love all the people that I meet, the candidates I speak to, the clients. You know, I've had my biggest client has been with me now for almost five years, wow. um, which is amazing. Yeah. And I know them really, really well. And it's nice to have that kind of that validation that actually you're doing something right. And when you've started to work with people long enough to have testimonials and people go, do you know what? Someone said to me the other day, do you know what? I would recommend you as a recruiter because you've been absolutely brilliant the whole way through. And for me, that's all, you know, that's so important because it's validating what I set out to do. Absolutely. Do you feel that passion comes first and then mastery or mastery comes first and then passion? Ooh. You, you've got to have a bit of both. But I do think passion is probably, probably takes it for me because if you're passionate about wanting to do something and, and be successful, then you'll make something succeed. 
and you can learn. You know, I certainly didn't know loads about recruitment when I started and it's through working with a consultant and at the beginning I worked with someone who had worked in her own recruitment company for 25 years who helped me kind of get started and it's important to recognize that there are people that you can learn from so if you've got that passion you can go out and you can make it work but don't um let it don't don't feel bad that you don't necessarily have that knowledge because nobody knows everything from the beginning and there's a whole world of people out there with loads of knowledge that you can pick that will support you it's very good advice how do you think people can best find people that can help them if they're not sure if they're stuck um i mean there's, there's so many platforms now aren't there there's so many social media platforms linkedin is kind of where i spend my life and LinkedIn is brilliant for networking. You know, you, if you use it the right way and you search the right way, you can find people. You can Google people. Um, and you can speak to lots of different people and you can decide whether you get on with them or whether you don't. You know, you're never obligated to work with someone. Um, you know, that choice is yours. But there's so many ways of getting in touch with people. Um, all you need to do is Google, basically. That's <laughs> the answer to everything. I mean, it's the, it's the answer to everything. But, you know, word of mouth, I actually started working with Simon, the consultant I mentioned, through a friend of mine who's worked with him for years. Uh, and that was a chance conversation I had with her, and she mentioned him. So this is what I mean when I say things come out of the woodwork that you're not expecting. That's Just so from chance chats and conversations with people. And as an entrepreneur, you're kind of swinging from one vine to the next vine on those kinds of chance encounters. Desperately holding right? on. <laughs> yeah. Praying that the next one arrives, even though you can't yeah. see it yet. That's and true. Somehow That's it exactly does. What it's like. Question mark. That's exactly what it's like. Yeah, somehow the vine always appears, and sometimes it's like really last minute. <laughs> right. But it won't appear until after you've been stressing for a very, very long time. That is spot on. Yeah. Until yeah, after yeah. a few sleepless nights. Exactly. And finally, exactly. something breaks. Well, this exactly. has been such a it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. I think it's such a very very fascinating story. Um, I want to be mindful of your time, so we'll we'll sort of start wrapping things up here a little bit. Um, but I wanted to ask, what's next? What's your next vine, or what's the next thing that you're looking to do if everything goes well? Um, for me, it's expanding the business. It's about working out what this looks like in the next five years. I've got a business plan. Um, so I've got the financials, but it's about expanding that team and really being able to get more business in, more clients coming through the door, uh, more recommendations. Um, it's kind of chicken and egg. You can't take people on until you've got the business. But when you've got the business, you haven't got time to take people on because you need to get the work done. So it's kind of that situation oh, where you expand well. a business, which, which I'm not used to yet. Um, so that's that's over the next couple of years that's where I want to be and really getting things back in shape after COVID it's been um, I, I've, I've turned over more in the last three months than I did in the whole year last year wow. because just because everybody put recruitment on freeze you know every sense. industry everywhere yeah. froze their recruitment so it was a really tough year so we're getting back on track now and I just want to expand it you know, even further. And are things kind of opening back up in the UK now or still a bit on lockdown? They are definitely opening up, definitely opening up. There's certain, you know, sectors that are still struggling, like hospitality. And there's lots of, 
um, you know, lots of companies are not necessarily, you know, turning their recruitment back on just because we've opened up because they're now thinking, actually, do you know what? We've operated quite lean for 12 months. Do we need the people we thought we'd need before? You know, do we need that many people? So it's going to take a while for things to get back up and running totally, I think, because people are reconsolidating and thinking, actually, what do our, what does our business look like now? So it's going to take a while, but it's, it's definitely getting there. That's so great. Yeah, I hope Thanks. it's a, a smooth sailing. And I guess you have two last questions. The first one is, do you see an office that you own on the horizon, yes or no? Will no. you come first? Still no. Okay, <laughs> that's, that's not, not in five years? Not apart from my home office. Okay, got it. All right, so that's never going to happen. <laughs> All right, well, then the last question that I always like to end with is, uh, what would you say is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Um... Oh gosh, that's putting me on the spot. I think it's um, it sounds really cheesy, and lots of people say it, and it is just don't don't give up because if you don't try, you never get anywhere, and you'll never do anything. And if you really want to do something, go for it because you can always do something else if it doesn't work out, and it doesn't mean that you're a failure because it hasn't worked out. But if you don't try, you don't know. And I always try and say that to my my daughters. They just try. Because if you don't try, what's the point? Uh, It's quite cheesy, but I think it's true. It resonates for me. And it's not, not to give up. For me too. I think that's a beautiful sentiment and very, very relevant for probably everybody who listens to this. Yeah. So with that, um, I would like to give you a, a second here. So promote um, your business or where can people find you or what you're doing? So people can find me at um, abrico.co.uk. Um, and I recruit, yeah, I recruit within um, fast-moving consumer goods, so FMCG. Uh, I recruit at all levels from uh, exec level down to uh, field manager level across all commercial functions, so sales, marketing, commercial finance. Um, I've done the roles myself, so I understand exactly what is required. Um, and I work with blue chips, I work with startups, I work across the board. Um, and I give people, I offer people a really, really bespoke service. Um, and hopefully uh, dif- that's what differentiates myself from the other agencies out there. And I'd love to do international recruitment. I have recruited in France and Germany because I speak French and German. Wow, okay. Maybe maybe the US one day. Well, you know, we'll put this out. I'll I'll split this into a clip and we'll put it out there on LinkedIn and we'll see. I'd love to. You know, I'll I'll do that for sure. I'll just say, hey, anybody looking, here, go here and we'll see what happens. I heard somewhere, actually. I heard, and this may be completely inaccurate. I heard that for the versus the percentage of the population in the US, there's way fewer recruitment agencies than there are in the UK. Apparently in the UK, and I don't know statistics or figures, there are loads and loads of them per percentage of population, whereas in the US, there's not as many. So I'm sure that if you need another really good recruiter, I would love to be in that space. Okay, wonderful. Well, you know, if there's one thing we know about LinkedIn is that if you're offering people the chance at a job, LinkedIn is interested. (laughs) Generally, it's like, anybody got a job? Okay, so... 
Um, yeah, we'll post it. We'll see what happens. But again, thank you so much for your time. I really do appreciate You're it. Welcome. I think it's a really inspiring story. Um, I'm so glad thank that you me. shared it. Uh, I think it's awesome. Congratulations for taking the leap and for thank having you. the courage to stick with it and make it what it's become. I think that's as cool as it gets for me. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you. Well, with that, the podcast is officially over. Thank you so much for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm so glad that you've joined me on these crazy, wild, wacky, meandering paths towards success. And again, I'm looking for you to help me grow this thing. So if you know somebody who's a great candidate, somebody who has defied all the odds and built a business from scratch, or if they've done something truly unique, or they've lived their life in a way that makes for a fantastic story, please recommend them to me. They might make a great podcast guest for this show. I'm always looking to help expand the reach. So anything that you can do to help me along those lines would be greatly appreciated. Again, like, share, subscribe, rated five stars on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow it on Spotify, anywhere you find me. And you can also find me on Instagram at the Ross Palmer, where I would really appreciate it if you drop me a line, let me know what you like, what you don't like. I'm here to connect with you. So help me grow this thing together. I'd really appreciate it.